I am your host, Raquel Ark, an American podcasting from Germany, and this is Listen In. Join this series of conversations with inspiring scientists, leaders, and authors about listening as a surprising superpower that is not always as easy as it seems. Believe me, I know, and I've been learning and will continue to learn, and I hope that this podcast will help you find practical ways to help others listen better while you become better at leading people, catalyzing collaboration, transforming conflict, building trust and engagement. And I'll tell you, when really good listening happens, then the entire group, including you, can feel energized and inspired. So sit back and enjoy listening beyond what we typically think of. What do growing plants and listening have in common to transform children and our planet? My guest, Stephen Ritz, is an internationally acclaimed, award-winning educator. And in this episode, he shares how he empowers children, giving them a voice. He is also the author of best-selling book, The Power of a Plant, and founder of Green Bronx Machine. Known as America's favorite teacher, Stephen is responsible for creating the very first edible classroom in the world. He and his students have grown more than 130,000 pounds of vegetables in the South Bronx, and they are a subject of a new full-feature documentary called Generation Growth. Stephen is now appearing in the new PBS educational series, Let's Learn with Mr. Ritz in the United States. He has received numerous awards for his work, advocacy, and impact in public schools across New York City and America. In this interview, Stephen empowers us to listen to children way beyond what we typically consider. Enjoy listening in. Stephen, welcome to the Listen In podcast. It's wonderful to have you here today. Why, thank you, Raquel. It's, it's an honor. I'm thrilled. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited because I know that you do a lot of work with kids on different levels, and we'll go into that in just a few moments. But since this podcast is on listening, I'd first like to start off with asking you, when did you first start to notice listening, whether it was working or it wasn't? Well, I'm a big believer in meeting people where they're at. And you meet people where they're at, A, by looking, and B, by listening. So while I am very much a public speaker and a big voice in the room, I also take pride on my ability to listen, both in between the lines, to the direct content, and to listen with a sense of empathy. You know, for me, compassion is the new curriculum, and compassion starts with hearing voices. And I believe what really makes the work of Green Bronx Machine special and my own personal odyssey is that I believe every child has a voice and every child has a story and our stories are our ladders to success. And if we listen, we learn. And if we learn, we share. And one of the more remarkable things about my career, I find, is even though I have a big voice, <laughs> I've really never had to raise it, ever. And I <sighs> find that, you know, uh, you know, when you go overseas, you know, the joke is, always, oh, if they don't speak English, speak louder. No. Mm -mm. You know, the power of a soft, gentle voice really enables people to tune in. 
And, you know, I always say in this world of social media and so much negativity, if we learn to separate the noise from the signal and really clue into what the universe is telling us, it's a remarkable way of doing business and going forward and finding your little place and your little peace on the planet. So I would love to know, how is it that you learn to tune into this little signal versus the noise? Well, number one, I love my plants because they're so well behaved and they always, you know, you just want to see if you can hear them growing. Sometimes you can't see them growing, but you get to hear them growing. But the beauty of indoor gardening, you know, I'm sitting here today with a fish tank behind me, is just hearing the gentle sound of water. It's the small things in life that really can bring you peace, tranquility. So listening to children is a critical piece because they, they're making noise because they want to be heard. And if you hear them sooner, then you get to the message rather than to the need of, I wanna be heard, I wanna be heard, I wanna <laughs> be heard. So I find it just easier to turn the volume down, except if you're at a dance party because that's when you wanna feel the beat. But, you know, in terms of, you know, cluing into heart, cluing into emotion and cluing mm. into content, you want that content coming in a soft, gentle manner. You know, my dear friend, State Senator Gustavo Rivera once told me that, you know, you can't drink from, you can't take a cool drink from a fire hose. And, you know, when I was younger, I was a very angry person. There were a lot of things that I saw in my community that really caused outrage. But if you're screaming at the top of your lungs forever and ever and ever and ever, people start ignoring you. They can't really hear what you have to say. You're kind of like that angry dog at the end of the leash that lives on your block and is always, <laughs> you know, out there. So learning to be kinder, learning to be gentler, learning to slow down so that the wheels hit the ground enables you to go much faster. So are you saying that you used to be a screamer and you've shifted into a whisperer? Well, I'm known as the child whisperer, which I take great pride for and great pride in. But I was never really a screamer. I just used to, you know, have a wall of words, so to speak. You know, if you got an email from me, it wasn't three or four lines. It was paragraphs, you know, and, and people didn't want that. And also the amount of outrage that I felt and I saw, I felt compelled to really tell, and this, and that, and this, and if that's not enough, my God, what about this, and what about that, and what about this, and what about that? And sometimes people just need one good, succinct message. You know, I jokingly say that for me in my writing and communication styles, both orally and verbally, Twitter helped really change the game for me because I learned <laughs> to be concise. I learned to be quiet. Oh, that's interesting. To, yeah, yeah. So with your children, so with the kids, you said that you really believe that all children's voices should be heard. Let's elevate every voice. Yeah. And there's a shift away from us also as adults or as teachers or as parents or whatever from sending to slowing down and paying attention to the signal versus the noise. So that in that signal, we can tune into what the message is. 100%. Yeah. I'll share with you something remarkable. You know, we debuted yeah. during the pandemic, we debuted a TV show called Let's Learn with Mr. Ritz. We did it in partnership with PBS and we filmed it right here in the classroom. 
And I have a lot of characters in the series that I love, whether it's Leslie the ladybug, Sammy the shark, Bobby the bear, really cute, adorable things. But one of my favorite episodes is, was with Mr. Met. And for those of you out there who don't know who Mr. Met is, Mr. Met is Major League Baseball most popular mascot, except Mr. Met has one remarkable characteristic. He never speaks. And we, Mr. Met actually came to this classroom and taught an episode without ever saying a word. And I tell people that sometimes, you know, you, you can hear with your eyes, you can hear with your ears, and you can hear with your heart. And when you're tuned in, you know, Mr. Met taught a 22-minute episode. He even got me to dance without ever <laughs> saying a word. You know, getting that signal understanding both verbal and nonverbal communication is absolutely critical. Here in New York City, you know, in the largest school system in America, 1.2 million kids, you know, we have tens of thousands of children, you know, who are learning challenges, learning challenge, have learning challenges, you know, children of determination, if you will, and acknowledge them and to create an episode built on empathy, sharing, caring, listening, even if the words weren't spoken, was just a sheer joy. So as proud as I am of that series, I really encourage everyone to go watch the episode with Mr. Met. If you want to see what it's like to learn and listen without hearing anything, but paying really close attention. Yeah. Then we'll definitely put that link onto the notes for sure. And so what is the key for helping adults to tune in to the signal of the kids? You mentioned nonverbals. You mentioned paying attention to, I guess, I wasn't sure. Were you talking about the kids or the adults or both listening with your ear, (laughs) with your hearing, with your eyes and hearing with your heart? Both. I'm always talking about both. And I think, you know, so what's the key? I say the key is compassion. You know, you've Mm got to put yourself in someone else's shoes. There's a reason, you know, that people communicate, whether it's a need or a desire And once you understand that, or, you know, conveying a specific need or conveying a specific desire or giving information or getting information, and once you get to the essence of that, that's where these relationships start. That's where validation starts. I mean, you know, I jokingly say it's back to school time and I'm so excited. And, you know, my daughter is now 27 years old. I still, you know, it's back to school time. And I'm like, oh, I wish I could pack you your lunch boxes again. The favorite part of packing my daughter a lunch each and every day for 12 years, aside from making sure it was a good meal and a healthy meal, was the note, was the communication, was the acknowledgement, you know? That's what this work is all about. And I think that's what our work is all about. And that's what humanity should be all about. Elevating and respecting each other's voice, elevating and respecting each other's choice, and how we can work together to grow something greater and listening results in cooperation. You know, sometimes people can hear you, but they're not really listening. Sometimes the noise goes in, but it doesn't stay in. It's like zoom in one ear and out the other. So doing what I call, you know, making compassion, the new curriculum, focusing on empathy and goal setting is really critical. So tell me more about that empathy and goal setting. What is that How does that work together? Well, I think, you know, when people understand where the other party is coming from, we're all more likely to get to a place where we all feel somewhat satisfied. Yeah. I always say, you know, there's always 
three sides to this story, one side, the other side, and the truth. But the closest <laughs> we get to making those three balls overlap each other, or those three circles overlap each other on the Venn diagram, the closer everyone is to feeling respected, included, and outcome-oriented. Yeah. So in your work with children, and I mean, you're giving great advice also for parents, you know, I, I'm already thinking of some ideas of what I can put into place with my teenager. Go get them. I know. <laughs> I'm learning. That's my big learning place right now. Because every moment, every day I learn something, I try something, it works, but the next day it's different because it's changed. <laughs> Absolutely. So I realize that sometimes I have a hard time keeping up. So I just have to go with the flow and hope for the best. Every day is a new day, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Especially with technology, you know, it's, it's remarkable, but you know, the basic rules of life still apply. I think, you know, I can't mm -hmm. keep up with all the technology out there. And, you know, I try, you know, to think that we're having this phone call. It's kind of almost Jetson-like esque. It's you know, really cool. Was, it's totally cool. You know? Two years ago, this would have never happened. And when I was a child, we thought this was ridiculous. But, you know, most importantly, when I was a child, I learned to, you know, use things and love people. And sadly, society today has moved towards loving things and using people. Yeah. And we've got to get back to that compassion. We've got to get back to the fundamental basis that people like to be in relationship, yeah. that they want to feel good with each other. I mean, all of this social media, in some ways, is just a reflection of the ability for people to want to be heard and for others to listen. You know, it's remarkable how many things and people I follow uh, just because I want to hear what they have to say. You know, I'm just curious to know what's out there. Nice. So tell me, what do um, listening and growing vegetables have in common? Well, in this classroom, the beauty is to hear the water running, you know, the feng shui, if you will, of a tower garden, of the water just trickling down. You know, you hear that water and you hear life. You hear life itself at its very essence because water is life. And you know that water is growing those plants. You know, when you're outside in a garden, you know, we are in the middle of a concrete jungle to create an oasis where you can hear birds is sometimes really cool. You know, we are bombarded with so much auditory stimulation here in New York City. Buses, garbage cans, fire engines, police sirens, gunshots, people screaming. You know, the amount of noise is overwhelming. So to be able to take time in a garden and do a sensory auditory tour, if you will, and hear little things, have you ever taken the time to really hear a bee buzz? It's so cool. It's so and cool. All of that changes children's perspective on where they live and their relationship to the ecosystem. You know, kids and bees, ah, it's a bee, run away, run away. Have you ever listened to the bees? Have you ever spoken to the bees? So it's really just, you know, taking that time to pause for a cause, if you will. Mm -hmm. Hear the little things, you know, the different colors, the softer shape. It's really important. You know, if, if our world was all black and our world was all white, we wouldn't get much color out of life now, right? <laughs> I know. Kind of that whole, you know, it sounds a little Dr. Susie, but it's very true. Yeah, that's what we, we like to keep things interesting. I can't imagine a world of black and white <laughs> only. <laughs>
You know, you have been working with educate with children and educators, and you know you've been an influencer in this world of developing children. Also, using I guess farming, <laughs> growing, you know, as a way to teach. What are you learning? What are some a couple of key learnings that would help parents or teachers know about working with children? And what would you say is really important for us to know? So it's interesting that you call me an influencer because I really feel influenced by the world around me. I'm just responding to signals, so to yeah. speak. You know, I never set out to be a farmer. I have no science background. I like to say I'm a seed spreader and a peace promoter. But the beauty of farming, if you will, is that you can't go from seed to harvest without cultivation in the middle. Yeah. And that's true of children. That's true of relationships. That's exactly. true of work. That's true of, you know, of personal goals. Listen, setting goals is great, but, you know, it's the cultivation of them. It's the habits that get you there that really are the work that really brings you to the goal. Oh, one little thing, you oh. know, the craziest thing about farming, if you will, yeah. <laughs> is, you know, you get these teeny tiny little things and you put them in the ground or you put them in a net pot and 60 days later, you have something huge that you can eat. I marvel at that. It, it is the story of life itself. And, you know, I'll ask you now to just close your eyes and think about that time you were in kindergarten. You put that lima bean in the plastic bag with the paper towel and you came back and you saw roots and leaves. It was so cool. Yeah, I loved that. Yeah, <laughs> every child loves that. What are, what are some questions that people are asking you around, I don't know, teaching and listening? Are, what are questions that you are being asked by by others? So it all depends on the age group and what demographic is doing the question asking, <laughs> so to speak. The one question that goes without a doubt is all about the cheese hat, of course, is where the cheese hat come from. Mm -hmm. And, you know, literally, that's an interesting point in and of itself, because I never knew that one simple inanimate object like this could had the capability of turning a frown upside down. But literally... <laughs> The cheese hat is, you know, simply because when most people don't know, but, you know, not too long ago, I was over 300 pounds. I really? was the dean of students. Yeah. And the children called me the big cheese because I was walking around school, eating a slice of pizza and a 44 ounce soda. And when I started farming, I put on a farm hat with children. You know, it was kind of a joke. Everyone knew how to find me. And then I went to my first principals conference in Wisconsin and I got off the plane and saw a cheese hat. And the kids have been calling me the big cheese for years. And uh Lo and behold, I got a cheese hat and it now literally become an icon that is known around the world. You know, I meet Miss Obama. She wants to know where is the cheese hat? I show <laughs> up in the UAE and people love taking pictures of the cheese hat. So yeah. again, it's just the simple things that really sometimes go the difference or the acknowledgement, if you will, you know, the mm -hmm. listening, the cueing in on something that it fosters these great relationships. You know, so I proudly, I always say, you know, Superman had his cape, Batman had his belt, but I'm you one have your cheese hombre hat. with a cheese hat and a bow tie. And, you know, when, you, when it comes to appreciation, what is, I was just thinking about the kids. What have you received from the kids that has really, that really moved you? Life, life <laughs> in and of itself. You know, look, you know, I've been teaching since the early 80s and I've never felt younger. I've never felt better. They inspired me. Listen, I lost 110 pounds eating the food that I grow with children here at school. Yeah. You know, they give me more love 
than I could ever give them. You know, and the fact that they show up daily against some of the most Herculean odds, realize I have children who were born into situations that many people would not want to be caught dead in, literally, right. not only here in the United States, but around the world. So to be the advocate for them, to be the change maker, and, you know, the big voice for these little children is really cool. You know, I'm going to keep making noise for them until they learn to speak for themselves and until people start paying attention. And that's what this work is really all about. So I guess in that way, I'm an influencer. I just say, you know, I'm the president of the Children's Union. It's my job to make sure every child's voice is heard and respected. And so, okay, you want us to pay attention. What do you want us to pay attention to? Well, number one, where to start. So I'll be very precise. Food. You know, input equals out. And let's face facts. This is the first generation that will not outlive their parents simply because of what we are eating. Diabetes, heart disease, all sorts of dysfunction is at an absolute record high. And to think that we are eating ourselves to death is mind-numbing. So food isn't love. So number one, I want you to think about food. On a much bigger level, I want you to think about the planet because the choices we make, the decisions that we make, and largely around food and consumerism, really are either killing us or going to foster a planet that will be around and viable for our Mm -hmm. children and grandchildren. And then lastly, perhaps empathy. You know, the pandemic was really emblematic of the three larger viruses that have plagued humankind since the beginning of time, racism, greed, and corruption. And today and every day, you know, in terms of things that you can say and things that you can hear and things that you can do, it is not enough to say, I'm not a racist. You know, and I believe a lot of people really believe that they are not racist. But how can we be anti-racist in everything that we do? How do your actions reflect absolute inclusivity and respect for people who came before us, alongside of us, and cohabitate with us? So those are the things that I really want people to hear. I want them to hear education, not asphyxiation. I want them to hear compassion. I want them to hear empathy. And I want them to hear each other because I believe that children who play together and learn together will grow up and not want to bomb and kill each other. And that to me is the most important thing. Yeah. And that goes back to this cultivation piece, right? This Uh, cultivation (laughs) for all of those different aspects. What are we going to plant and what are we going to nurture and water and give sun to and and listen to and enjoy over even 60 days and I will come out transformed, right? Well, think about this. When you put a seed in the ground and the seed doesn't grow, you put a plant in your home and the plant doesn't grow. You don't blame the plant, you know, you blame the environment. But when we put kids in schools and in difficult situations and they don't thrive, you know, we don't wanna own it. We wanna blame them. Oh, he's a bad kid. He's a problem child. Oh, he's got special needs. Oh, he's this, she's that, he's this, he's that. In some ways, you know, we give plants and animals far more respect than we give children. And that's something that I'm trying to change as well. So tell me about the Green Bronx, Bronx machine. <laughs> tell me you about know, this. <laughs> I like to say, you know, a Green Bronx machine, we grow vegetables, our vegetables grow students, our students grow schools, and our schools grow happy, healthy, resilient communities. You know, high-performing schools and children who are eating their way to personal outcomes they've never imagined including changing the social determinants of health. But we are a small, humble program born by accident. 
literally, you know, in the midst of chaos and adversity. And slowly but surely, you know, we're out to change the world. We are changing the lens on public education and what defines possible in public schools. So people think we're a garden program. No, we are not. We are a whole school academic program that just puts project-based learning and indoor academic gardening at the heart of what we do. So the children think it's their job to grow vegetables and that's great because they love to have a job and they love eating vegetables. And it's teacher's job and Green Bronx Machine's job to make sure that there is curriculum, pedagogy, professional development and resources to support that. And now, you know, our little program here from the Bronx is touching over 500 schools and 50,000 students a day. And some of our most successful programs are not in the Bronx, but are in Chicago, Chicago Public Schools with Jonathan Taves, for example. This week, my wife and I will be traveling to the mountains of Appalachia to celebrate our foster care graduates who run the first commercial greenhouse in America that is run by foster care kids in the heart of Appalachia. And this we're actually ribbon cutting their tiny homes. So, you know, we're giving these kids jobs, opportunity, and an ability to heal themselves and the planet. So I couldn't be more excited by the work of Green Bronx Machine. Wonderful. So if people want to get in touch with you or some of your resources or what you have available, what would you suggest? Oh, so please check out the website, www.greenbronxmachine.org. I'll say that slowly for those who are listening and writing at the same time. www.greenbronxmachine, all one word, dot org. Or you can learn more about me at Stephen Ritz, S-T-E-P-H-E-N-R-I-T-Z.com. We're on all social platforms. We're all over LinkedIn. We're not all over. We're responsible. You know, we do our best. We don't live on social media. There's no paid kind of person here. We post what we feel is appropriate. We share when we feel it's appropriate. And, you know, we're part of a great live community. And I I do want to say thank you, community, for your support, because we see you. We hear you, we appreciate you, and your voice is your contribution. You know, this community has taken the online community and parent advocate community and the garden community has taken our work really from the Bronx to the world, from hope to the Pope. It was an honor to meet Pope Francis. Well, I love the work you're doing and I love the influence also on how it's supporting children really feeling listened to in ways that you probably wouldn't think of but it really makes a difference. And for being a, a catalyzer of, of empathy, of compassion, and of cultivating and shaping the kind of world that we so need also for our children. Yeah. Well, thank you. And thank you for the work that you do. You know, I'm here to listen and I'm here to learn. And that's what this is about every day, showing up ready and able, like a seed just trying to reach for the sun. Yep, reach for the sun and back. Yep. Yep, exactly. <laughs> Thank you, Stephen, so much for being with me on the Listen In podcast. Thank you. Hope to see you soon. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye. I am your host, Raquel Ark from Listening Alchemy, and I hope you are inspired by this episode of Listen In and find one person today to practice your listening superpower. Please subscribe and like this podcast and share it with others so we can catalyze a listening movement together. A big thank you to Evo Timan for producing the music and Cecilia Mercado for getting this podcast set up. Find more information at www.listeningalchemy.com. 
Enjoy listening in.